0: Hello and welcome to the Shorenstein Center Media and Politics Podcast. This week's episode features a conversation with Daphne Linzer, Managing Editor of Politics for NBC News and MSNBC, who shared her insights about covering the 2016 campaign and the Trump administration. Moderating the event is Nick O'Meally, Director of the Shorenstein Center.
1: Alright ladies and gentlemen, my name is Nico. I'm director of the Shorenstein, Nico Mealy. I'm director of the Shorenstein Center. Delighted to be with you today and to have our guest. So without further ado, I'm going to turn this to Daphna. Daphna is taking time out of her busy job. She's the managing editor of politics for NBC News and MSNBC. A um, small, slow job these days, I would imagine. Uh, she previously served as managing editor of MSNBC online. Before joining MSNBC, she was a, an award-winning senior investigative reporter at ProPublica and is the author of Shades of Mercy: a series and ebook on racial bias and presidential pardons. Previously, she covered national security for The Washington Post and was a special project supporter and foreign correspondent with The Associated Press based in Jerusalem and at the United Nations and she really does have one of the busiest most exciting jobs in news these days so we're very very grateful she's taking time out of her busy schedule to join us today she's been enormously generous with her time please give a warm welcome to Daphne. thank you you. i'm so happy to be here with you guys so i'm gonna per the usual format ask Daphne a few questions and then open it up to questions from the audience so get your questions prepared but, um, you know, I wonder if you would just reflect for a moment on, uh, on your work and your job now, as opposed to say, 24 months ago.
2: It's exactly the same. <laughs> um, well, we did, I mean, it was a, a remarkable, as you all know, uh, election year and campaign. Um, and we I would say it was, I, I, I think I would compare it to sort of other, other elections rather than 24 months earlier, sort of pre, pre-election and just talk about and, and the way we covered politics um, before getting into the campaign. And as you guys know, I mean it was a, there was a, a primary fight uh, in both parties, obviously more extensive and more, uh, candidates on the on the Republican side so the election was very long and very intense right from the beginning um, which required uh, a lot of people uh, for us to be able to kind of cover it the way that we felt it needed to be covered so um, <coughs> we were I think the only news organization that had um, one man-to-man coverage um, on the Republican side of almost every single, um, primary candidate uh, from very early on um, we did have somebody um, assigned to Trump right away full-time um, a correspondent that many of you probably um, came to know during the campaign Katie Turr um, who stayed on that campaign um, you know from the very first weeks all the way through to the end um, earlier I think probably than uh, most other news organizations. Um, and same um, on the Democratic side, I think we were the only network for sure that was traveling full time with Bernie Sanders um, all the way through to the end. Um, so in, in those terms, just with the, the number of people that were required and the different storylines, um, it was obviously a very different kind of campaign than I think any of us had, had seen before
1: and how does it feel now uh you know you have a president who watches morning joe religiously mm-hmm. yeah. some might and say and the today show and the Today yeah. show. <laughs> and, uh and you know i had asked you earlier did you yeah. think did obama ever watch morning joe to your knowledge I don't,
2: I don't know i i i think probably not i will tell you a very funny joke that uh the, uh, the former vice president made at the gridiron dinner a year ago when he knew that he had only a few months left in office. He was sort of mulling his next move and said that he thought about having a cable show, calling it Morning Joe, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, we never got the sense that uh, anyone uh, uh, who occupied the Oval Office was watching uh, Morning Joe or uh, the Today Show in real time. Uh, and. That's, that's certainly changed. Um, so we know that, um, you know, if you're trying to have impact, um, be heard by the president, you have a m- much better shot now than than you had before.
1: And how does that, or does that change how you think about and cover the news?
2: That's a really interesting question. I think, um, uh, I think that ha- remains to be seen. I-, I don't know if I would judge it by sort of Im- the the President's immediate reaction, but say, you know, we see, um, you know, we all have somebody on the Today Show doing a fact check or making a point, and, um, and the President will tweet something that is clearly in response to what he's just heard on air. Um, but I think, you know, the tweet is a little bit different than what sort of a greater impact, more um, action-oriented impact would look like. Um, I think for us, um, seeing the things that he does tweet, knowing that um, you're getting a very unfiltered uh, look at the president and hearing from him directly in a very unfiltered way, um, and certainly, you know, I, I it is my position that uh, I hear some. I hear people say we shouldn't report on his tweets. I think that is. Um, I I strongly disagree with that. Um, I believe that what the president tweets is U.S. policy um, and is extremely important um, to be covered. And um, so I I take that view. Um, But it also is changing the fact that we are getting a very um, unfiltered, raw, direct um, voice of the president. Um, We are used to, um, as as, as the time has gone by, of hearing from presidents, uh, not very often hearing, um, often through press releases that you know have gone spent three days being workshopped through an interagency process on behalf of the president, and that has that has changed dramatically.
1: So we've gone from uh, an Obama White House and maybe even before that mm-hmm. a Bush White House mm-hmm. that was kind of that carefully controlled its relationship with the press, kind of heavily mediated, to almost yeah. the inverse.
2: I, I I really feel that way, right? And very very um, calibrated, thoughtful messaging, um, and, and and for for obvious reasons, as 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 all all of you are are, are very well aware of, um, because of the implications on policy, because of the implications on uh, alliances, on you know, for all for all the reasons that you would very sort of carefully um, think through a statement from the president of the United States, um, that, that, that is just completely gone.
1: And what, uh, what are, what would you say is, has surprised you most about the, uh, over the last year, the campaign, and then the first few days of this administration?
2: Um, so I, I, they're a little bit different, although I did, I did, um, I did share with, a, with a, um, a group this morning that I do believe that you, um, and I, it, this seems sort of true across the board from the years that, I, that I've worked, that I do think that um, presidents generally govern the way they campaigned. Um, still I would say, so I, I, I definitely see that um, with Trump, we, did, we saw it very much so with Obama um, in the first year. I don't know how many of you remember that for for a long time in the first year of the Obama presidency, um, he stuck with his personal narrative that got him into office. I mean, it, it started to become a little bit of an amusing point that... You know, he went on a trip to Asia. He told the story about how he was the first Asian president. He went on a story to he went on a trip to Africa. He was the son of Africa. Like we just kind of went on and on and on um, because of the uniqueness of his of his family and the way he was able to kind of adapt that story um, to um, to wherever he was and to the audience he was speaking to. I would say um, what surprised me the most in the election, which is different from the early days of this administration, um, I think is something that surprised many people, um, both supporters of Trump and opponents of his message, um, was the fact that he was able to I I thought he was kind of like a, a a very successful political assassin. He was able to take a message, to say things, to do things, to go places in order to vanquish, successfully vanquish opponents that no one had attempted before um, that I think um, often surprised people um, in different ways, not just in the fact that he was Able to do that, um, but that he was also rewarded for it, but that he was successful actually in knocking out um, a very wide field. I would say um, what has surprised me um, early on in the administration, I think, is, um, and again, because I said I think you do campaign, you do govern similarly to the way you campaign, certainly in the early years of an administration, I would say. there's a little bit of a kind of a freewheeling that we haven't seen in a long time that could catch um, reporters who are used to, um, you know, a certain a certain kind of op- standard operating procedure, regardless of who the president is. There's lots of people in the White House press corps who covered the Bush administration and the Obama administration, covered previous administrations. Um, one example I used is, um, you know, just the other day. Well. Yesterday, Um, let's let's start with yesterday, I can go back. Uh, um, You know, uh, the President was at Mar-a-Lago, there was a a pool spray, which for those of you in TV speak is just a very, um, it's just a very uh, clean shot of the President just kind of seated or in a meeting, just as kind of a a for the record moment. Um, It's very unusual for Presidents to speak. the people who are doing the pool spray are free to shout questions. Um, you've seen that happen many times. Um, Obama rarely took the bait, um, but you know certainly that we are welcome in and out of the Oval Office when he had meetings like this. Pool spray, and the president announces to the to the tiny little pool there um, that he has chosen a new national security adviser, and it, here he is. Um, So those are moments where you're like, okay. Um, Again, that's the kind of unfilteredness of the president where it's not been shopped and massaged and perfected, um, where it's very raw. Um, We had the same thing happen last week. Um, The president, there was a pool spray. It was 11.15 in the morning. The president tells the pool, the president is the one who announces that he is holding a news conference in the East Room in like 45 minutes um so that is you know those are kinds of those are those are uh moments um where there's there's an adjustment and 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 the white house press corps the political press corps is going to have to get used to and is quickly getting used to the fact that that you know that is going to be a very different tempo um, than they're used to so i I would say those are those are the early changes that um that we notice
1: so let's talk a little bit about that because uh you know, a few years ago, we had Mark Leibovitz of the New York Times write this book, "Our Town," that was kind of an, an attack—or this town, mm-hmm. sorry—it was kind of a, you could say, a critique of. Uh, he called it the Gang of Five Hundred, the group of people in Washington D.C. who mix of media and and elected and appointed and career government people, mm-hmm. um, but it, it was kind of a tightly knit club and that there were certain conventions, in a sense, to that club. Sure. And one of the opening <laughs> scenes in that was the funeral of Tim Rosser, right? Mm-hmm. And he was kind of just talking about the challenges of accountability and what we might call access journalism. And in some sense, uh, Trump is upending all of that, right? Uh, but in other sense, is reinforcing it to, yeah. in other ways. It's I kind of so a it. complicated or it's a a curious equation, the mix of both doing away with prior uh, precedents and norms, and yet doubling down on other ones in a sense. And I wonder how that affects your reporting and your hiring and the way you set the news agenda.
2: Yeah, there's a lot in there, and I think the culture of official Washington is a big big piece of that. For those in the room who have worked in Washington, and who have some familiarity with that. I mean, that is an institution in of itself, which which I thought Mark did a great job of, of capturing. And and journalists are part of that of that world. Um, and that is um, from the big, you know, from his largest message. What Trump ran against and railed against and continues to rail against, including um, including uh, journalists, as you as you all saw last week. Um, he does a lot of Fox News, the president, um, more than other than other um, uh, certainly more than other television um, news organizations. Although he gave a big interview to ABC um, to David Muir um, early on, and he's done the Christian Broadcasting uh, Network, um, so he is um, he is doing a little bit more than than just Fox. Um, I think one of the things, one of the difficulties that the Trump administration is having early on in, as a result of the railing a little bit um, is that they're having a hard time staffing up um, because a lot of people in official Washington um, were also officially uh, against, uh, against his candidacy. Um, and Trump believes in loyalty. And uh, for those who weren't with him or who spoke out aggressively against him, especially after he won um, the nomination, um, there is no place for them in this administration. So if there's no place in the administration for, um, for the establishment who are, you know, part of the national security apparatus, who are part of, um, you, know, big, you know, big policy or think tank folks, um, then that makes, it, that makes it very difficult. Um, and you know, I think that that is something they're they're contending with right now, as we as um, you know as we've seen in, in in the difficulty that they're having having both staffing, um, you know, very important um, structures like the National Security Council, um, and also just departments. I mean, I I know that the. The White House has complained about the lack or the speed with which their nominees are being confirmed. They, they have nominated very few people and there are no deputies and departments um, really who have been nominated. There's no deputy secretary of state. I mean, there's just there's just a lot of holes at the moment. And I think that that. Um, that desire, that successful campaign message, which is railing against official Washington, um, you know, can, can make things difficult once you're in, in, in office.
1: What, uh, when, you, when you kinda look ahead the next 12 months, I mean, you've already said that the, that the you've already said last few weeks that the pace and the intensity yeah. of the news is, is, is brutal and dramatic. And I wonder how you think about your newsroom and your audience and if you worry about fatigue yeah. and both in the part of your audience yep. and your reporters, both. but also do you, do you feel like there are some particular events down the road that are going to be really important that you're keeping an eye yeah. on? I mean, how do, you, how do you think about this landscape that feels very different from the past?
2: Yeah, I, I worry so much about fatigue. I, I worry about Audience, reader, and I say that when, and when I say that, I mean voter fatigue. Um, Because I don't, I want people to be. um, People were very, Americans were very engaged in this election, despite what happened on on election day with voter turnout. They were very engaged in the issues, and um, and I really, truly hope they stay um, stay engaged in the issues. um, that's that's important for all of us, um, and I definitely worry about um, f- uh, fatigue with our reporters. Although, man, they're jazzed. I mean, if you if you uh, <laughs> they're they got a great story, um, so you know that that's um, that's helpful. Um, I I think there's there's um, very important tests. Um, I was saying I, I, I like I'm the nerd who wakes up in the night thinking about the debt ceiling. Um, <laughs> Which I called, I, I called the president of MSNBC, and I, I was in Las Vegas, and I said I'm thinking about the debt ceiling, and he said said no one ever from Las Vegas. <laughs> 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 um, so you know, yeah, I think that's going to be a big test. I think I think um, where we go on legislation is a big test because right now we're not we're not sure where that's going to be. I mean, we know that um, the future of Obamacare was a has been a big issue for Republicans, especially on the House side, but Republicans generally and was a big issue in the campaign. And one that President Trump said, you know, he would, um, he would work to repeal immediately. Um, things take a lot longer than, than that. And um, he came into office and there was no plan waiting. Um, so what happens there and how voters react, and I think we're seeing a little bit of it early on with some of the town halls. Um, and some of the ways that um, voters are challenging uh, elected members on that. I think that those um, those are going to be very important tests. Um, I think even just early on, you know, this week, you know, the Secretary of State, the Vice President, um, the Secretary of Defense were all in Europe having meetings with their counterparts. Um, it seems from public statements that they were all trying to kind of walk a very careful line of reassurance, but yet, you know, these messages are important and they are official policy. And I think we just we haven't seen those tested yet. Um so I think seeing how they're tested rather than comparing the president's stated view with the vice president's stated view, I think we need to see what actually happens. So those are those are things that I'm I'm definitely thinking about it. And, and I would add in there what happens in the courts with the executive order. I think um, you know, we had one tested you know, out of the gate. Um, you all know what happened um, in, in, um, in the Ninth Circuit, um, and that the White House chose um, not to continue to defend um, its first go at the executive order. They say that a new draft is coming out. I think a lot of the legal challenges and how the courts respond will be a big test.
1: I'm going to ask one more question, then open it up to the audience. I want to ask you about uh, sourcing and anonymous sourcing, and uh, just the challenges of it. Right, that yeah. on the one hand, um, uh, on the one hand, it's uh, it's clearly a crucial way to hold power accountable and mm-hmm. to understand what's going on inside the government. Mm-hmm. It, it also kind of play is related to this question of access reporting, uh, access journalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just had the president's chief of staff really rail against it, despite some, we could say, indication he may occasionally be one of the, one of the sources. Um, and so I, I just kind of wonder how you and you your newsroom are thinking about anonymous, anonymous sourcing. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously it has a role, but is it over? Is it, is it playing too much of a role in journalism right now? Too little of a role? You know, how do you think about this and talk about this?
2: Uh, well, let's let's start with a with a really important recent example about this, and then I can unpack that for you guys. Um, I anonymous sources are never the ideal. Of course, you want everything on the record. Um, who doesn't? Um, but uh, Michael Flynn may very well have be the national security advisor this morning if the vice president didn't find out from the Washington Post a week ago Thursday, that he had actually been the subject of a DOJ warning because he wasn't uh, straightforward with the vice president. So um, I think we were kind of right out of the gate with, um, you know, I, we so, had, Just yeah. to be clear,
1: you're saying that had someone in the White House or the Department of Justice not leaked to the Washington Post, uh, that Flynn had, mm-hmm. was known to have lied to the vice president he might still be the national security advisor. Yeah,
2: we don't know. What we know is that Pence found out about this not from any internal deliberation. He found out about it from from the news media. Um, that's how that's how he discovered that, and 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 things moved very quickly from there. Um, so I would I completely understand. You know, and that and the president's response to all of that was to tweet the next morning how angry he was about leaks. Um, <laughs> I get it. Um, <coughs> it's angry about leaks. Uh, so yeah, not not ideal. Uh, not ideal. But um, uh, but you know when you're talking about um, policy issues, um, things that uh, are that should be subject to public debate and public scrutiny, um, and there's no other way to know about them except. Um, through anonymous sources, then I think that's important. I would also say that, as you said, um, all administrations uh, publicly rail against leaks, um, but then are happy to take advantage of that um, system when it suits them, um, which hurts them when they then come out and and um, and rail against them publicly and and hurts their credibility with the news media that's covering them. All administrations are the same. This one is not is not different in that respect um, and there are stories that you just simply cannot cannot get um, on the record I would say I started as Nico said out as a print reporter um, and it's much easier to tell a story in print um, through anonymous sources there are different stories than you can that you can tell as opposed to what I have really you know come to cherish which is, you know, a, a television piece or or broadcast reporting that is really not about the tell but about the sh- about the show. Um, so, getting people to be able to say things on the record is is important um, for that medium, and that audience expects it. Um, they're not coming to you for. Um, what would look like a print piece that's really about anonymous sources. And I, I think coming to have that respect for what different journalistic mediums offer and the kinds of ways they are able to tell stories um, is important. Um, but, you know, there's, there's a conversation um, going on right now just before I walked in the door about um, why, um, why Robert Harward um, turned down the offer Um, to be a national security advisor. Um, And the White House has been very clear on the record um, that family and personal reasons um, ultimately won over for him and he decided not to do the job, um, which is something that we've reported um, over and over and over again. Um, We also know from um, sources who are close to him that he was concerned about whether or not he would have the freedom to make some of the personnel Decisions that he would want to make inside the National Security Council because he would be replacing somebody who already appointed a deputy, um, who had already appointed a number of directors, um, who had a chief of staff. Um, so the question was, you know, what, how much, how much freedom was there to do that? And those were um, people who spoke to us anonymously, um, and that, you know, that that the White House is certainly free to challenge that. That doesn't fit with. How they um, how they see what happened with Harwood,
1: so yeah. Right. Are there questions? I'm going to privilege students in this. Yep. Just make sure you introduce yourself.
3: Hi. Thank you for taking my question. Yeah. Uh, my name is Alyssa Scotty. I am interested in how we balance media balances uh, radicals like Steve Bannon, Milo, who did get his book deal canceled, and uh, Alex Jones, who have gotten much more of a platform based on Trump's presidency. But is giving them that attention radicalizing or uh, normalizing their radical behavior, or is it just allowing them and giving awareness to what is out there?
2: And who do you mean by we? Do you mean the media giving them attention? Media
3: giving uh, attention, Mm -hmm. uh, seeing more posts on articles being written about uh, rampant racism that's going Mm on, or just there's more freedom for people to speak out, it feels like, and they're getting coverage on that.
2: Okay, so I'll, I'll just, from my perspective, um, so y- you can label all these guys any way you, any way you want. Steve, Steve Bannon is a senior advisor to the President of the United States. So uh, if you're suggesting we shouldn't report on him or we're giving him coverage that's going to elevate him, he's, he's as high as you can go. I mean, like, we're not going to do anything that's going to elevate Steve Bannon. Um, that is that is his job, and understanding him, his relationship to the president, his his views, his outlook, his, you know, um, past speeches. I mean, I, that is important for all all of us, and he should um, he should get his, um, the the scrutiny that our that our government officials get. Um, that's our job, um, and uh, and also uh, uh, fairness in understanding. Um, his views and what and what they and what they portend um, for for our future and for this administration. So I, I would separate that um, a, in terms of attention. Um, how others? I mean, I'm I'm really interested. Like, here's a, here's a question that w- that came up during the. Um, Transition that we we don't have an answer to. Um, Alex Jones, for those of you who don't know, I, probably all of you know, um, a- Alex Jones from Infowars. He said during the transition that he spoke to the president. Um, we had uh, oh he spoke to the president-elect. Pardon me. Um, and we we sought confirmation from the transition team and never got it. Didn't get a, a denial. Didn't get confirmation either. Uh, it was a busy time. They were overwhelmed. I can't explain why we don't have an answer, but we don't. As far as I remember, um, so I want to know what, what what his relationship might be or what his sphere of influence is. Like that, that's important to me. Um, and the more reporting we can do on that, I think is is definitely of interest. Um, I don't know what to say about Milo. <laughs> I really don't. I mean, I, you know, we've we've re- I mean, we we did write a piece um, about his, the fact that he was disinvited um, from CPAC. Um, we have a great uh, reporter, Benji Sarlin, who did a long sit down with Matt Schlapp last night. And Matt Schlapp, who's the head of CPAC now, was on Morning Joe this morning, um, trying to kind of understand this moment within conservative politics and what it means to have invited him, what it means to disinvite him, um, why what the current um, ta- audio tapes that came out, why that was the straw that broke the camel's back, why the other things he has said in the past, um, did not m- meet that bar, um, so I, you know, I, I don't know. So the characters kind of come and go um, <laughs> in this narrative, you know, in political narratives. Um,
1: what what about that, what about just the relationship between, uh, you know, sensationalism verging on entertainment to hard news? You you you, you worry about the debt ceiling, right? Uh, and, and yet. You're also in a business that is publicly traded, that is heavily incentivized by ratings. Where, uh, and you, you know, not necessarily, you're you didn't do this, but you have a uh, a political dynamic that lends itself to some sensationalism.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. I I don't know. I don't looking sort of at what um, what our platforms are. I'm not sure we have one that that lends itself as so well to that. Um, although I, I suppose you could argue with me for different um, point of view hosts on the MSNBC side. Um, I, I, I really feel like NBC News is an institution in this country and I, we have we feel a responsibility. We are journalists. I feel like on the political side we have the best team I have seen anywhere and they are completely committed to that mission. So I don't, I don't see a lot of that. I mean, there's the president holds these big events that have these moments in mm. them that are that that do feel a little bit like that that we cover um, and i would i would even look at the at the moment in in the rally in melbourne on saturday where he um, invited a guy on stage who he recognized because he had seen him on tv he'd seen him earlier in the day interviewed um, I believe on Fox, but it actually didn't really matter. It was just about reporters who were there covering the rally who wanted to interview the guy who was first in line. Um, So, in that, like, there's a moment where the president sees somebody, like, just interviewed on TV, calls him up. It's like this big, bizarre, again, like, you know, something you're not expecting to happen. Um, I can't, you know, the president just tells Secret Service, just let him up. I'm sure he's fine. You know, so those are like, <laughs> those are a, a lot. That's a live event that's happening um, that we're covering because we want to be covering the president. We would have done it for any president, um, but those are a little bit of those kind of moments where you're 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 the journalism part is being challenged a little bit by the scene. Um, but I don't I don't find a sensationalism in our journalism. I do think during the I mean we you know during the primaries we had. Again, we are not the kind of home for like big, kind of stunty um, events. Um, We had some great, um, important town halls um, with candidates uh, that were important to us. We did um, a commander in chief forum. Um, Lester Holt was the moderator for the first presidential debate. Um, But I don't find the sensationalism in what we've done. I I feel like we have kind of separated ourselves from that.
1: Do you feel like you've had to make decisions over the last twelve months that that where that was a major factor
2: sensational I mean or like um I'm just but thinking back specifically,
1: we had yeah. this campaign managers forum in December I was and uh, yeah, and there was uh, among the other mm. Republican campaigns, oh, yeah. I would say there was a deep sense of anger yeah. about the coverage Trump got during the primaries, yep. in particular you know minutes they might have used the phrase hours of empty podiums empty waiting podiums. for Trump to yeah. speak carried live across all yeah. the cable channels yeah
2: I think their anger was focused on a different one but
1: like that one not, 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 yeah, no, yeah, it was yeah. very yeah. explicitly directed at Jeff Zucker at CNN yeah. but he was on stage yeah right and true. part of part of his argument was what um, w- were we going to be the one network that didn't carry it
2: yeah um yeah, so I would say a couple things, and this I think extended to into the general as well. Um, Trump did a lot of events, uh, many more than his competitors. Uh, they were well timed, uh, especially in primetime, big primetime events, um, speeches, and so forth. I think you do have to weigh it a lot, and it's a two, you know, it's a two-party. Two-party race in the general, and um, and all the candidates deserve a fair shot in the primary. Um, I I looked at it a little bit differently, and we did it a little bit differently. And I would also say, on the MSNBC side, um, it was a, a tougher climb early on in the election to get Republican candidates to come on MSNBC. Um, and 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 and. Um, and not wrongly so in their minds at the beginning, because um, Republican primary voters were really watching. were really watching Fox. Um, that you know, if you're if you're if you're in the primary part of the election, you're you want to get in front of in front of your voters, uh, your potential voters, and. Um, And MSNBC was not a place then that a lot of Republicans were watching early on. And we worked actually very hard to get Republican candidates to come on and do um, a town hall um, or an event on MSNBC. And I I have to say, like with with great pride, they um, in the end, they all did as the race got tighter as they were looking um, more widely uh, for voters, and um, and we wisely thought of ways um, to do events that actually would reach um, their voters in specific um, primary states. I, here's one thing that I didn't hear those guys say um, in in December. Although I I actually really appreciated hearing their kind of unfiltered frustration, and I thought it was really valuable and true um, and justified. Um, one of the things that I didn't hear them say that I I cared a lot about, and this is a pushback on another issue that people um, kind of perennially raise, but um, raised again, which is this idea that um, everyone covered a horse race and no one covered an issue. I think because the primaries actually were so interesting and so intense and went on for so long, um, that actually was an op- a great opportunity that I. Th- I feel like we took advantage of, of doing issues. So, for example, in, in uh, next door in New Hampshire, um, where um, the heroin epidemic um, is so important, or opioids is so important, um, and and so on the minds of voters, we we spent our entire primary coverage kind of focused on that. Um, we and and candidates sort of were, were asked by voters their position on that issue, and I don't rem- I don't remember thinking going into the election that we needed to like think about that at all, um, and 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 then it became a, a huge issue um, that we focused on. The, as you guys all, re- I, I think many of you might remember that right after the election, um, when you still the president elect um, and and his vice president-elect Pence, Trump and Pence both got involved in a, in a local Indiana issue with a company called Carrier and whether or not they were going to move a certain number of jobs um, across the southern border. Um, and that, and that, that became a big issue right, out of, right after the election. During the Indiana primary, we had an NBC correspondent at Carrier like, all day during, during, um, during uh, primary day. Um, sp- specifically focused on that issue. And I, I kind of wished that some of the, some of the campaign managers had sort of t- talked a little bit more about where they were on some of those issues, because a lot of them, their candidates really weren't. Um, and I think the, the, the more they got involved, that kind of the more able we were to get them to do some mm. stuff. Um, But mostly they weren't and they were running very traditional campaigns, um, much like much like Secretary Clinton did, where they were doing very small kind of meet and greets. They were spending a lot of their time fundraising um, and and Trump was just doing something uh, very different. Um, And I, you know, I I think that it's, it's worthy of us to understand the importance of that and what that meant to so many voters who voted for
3: him. Hi. Hi. My name is Maria Annala. I'm a news journalist from Finland. I write about US politics for uh, the Finnish News Agency. Oh, great. And uh, I wanted to ask about um, trust in the White House, in the current White House, and also how you see this um, war, some people call it, some journalists call, say that Trump is at war with the traditional news media. He's lashed out at his um, press conferences against CNN, against BBC, against certain outlets, he keeps calling articles fake news articles that mm-hmm. are traditional journalism that we wouldn't characterize mm-hmm. as, as fake news. And some people see that as him waging war against the traditional news media. So um, how does that, his attitude towards news media, how does that change maybe the way you make decisions in the newsroom or how you work? Mm-hmm. With the White House, and do you trust information coming from the White House? <laughs> uh, okay, that's a lot of questions.
2: Um, we're not at war with the White House, so I, 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 I don't like to hear, you know, there's a war between the Trump administration, and and journalists or journalism or how everyone is. We're we're not at war with the with the White House. Um, you know, the president's called. Amer- called the news organization I work with, and uh, you know our 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 colleagues, our competitors, the enemy of, of the American people. Um, you know that, you know that is uh, it's not navel gazy for me to mention it. Um, do you know what I mean? It's not like oh, I'm only focused on what he says about the media. Um, yeah, I worry about um, I worry about. Um, S- trying to diminish um, institutions in our country across the board. Um, I worry about sowing doubt in um, in the minds of voters about the information they're getting. Um, I understand that administrations have different perspectives on the reporting that's being done about them. Um, I think that rhetoric... Um, is dangerous uh, for us as a country and and, and, um, and in strengthening our institutions rather than um, kind of diminishing diminishing them um, do I trust the information? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say to, I would say I probably have the same perspective of view as a journalist I don't I, I think you have to know that it's true I mean you you have to um, be able to examine the facts and take away what um, somebody in the administration says and 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 feel confident that that's information you could share with your readers or your audience. Um, I, I guess that would be my answer. I, I don't know how many of you saw the President's news conference, but one of our correspondents, Peter Alexander, stood up and said to the President, I mean, it wasn't really an issue of all the issues that we had to ask the President. It before that news conference, it wouldn't have cracked the top 20. Um, but as soon as the president, you know, reiterated um, that he'd had a historic um, electoral college win, you know, Peter, Peter was in his seat and just kind of quick, I mean, we all know that that isn't true. So he quickly Googled, you know, just sort of past electoral college wins and stood up and, you know, and confronted the president about the information he had just Shared with the American people about um, uh, about that win, and you know he said to the president, you know that it, that's just simply not the case. And he started to read from the list he had just quickly looked at it in his seat. Um, you know the president, I think, kind of cut him off when he got to Obama and said, "Well." the president tried to clarify, well, among Republicans, and Peter just kept going. I mean, he just kept going on the list, like all the way he got to Reagan and finally said to the president, you know, if we, the Ameri- how can the American people trust what you say when you're providing information on an issue like this that is just factually incorrect? Um, you know, the, and the, pre- you know, the president responded the way he wanted. He, he said, well, that's what I've been told. Um, he didn't really answer the question. Um, you know, but I, I would say, you know, if you're con- confronted with information that you think is wrong uh, or you're not sure about, then you need to get a second source or look it up and present the information um, in, the best, in the best way that you, that you can. I mean, I, 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 you know, it's, it's different with this president because his, acts, his ability to disseminate incorrect information in real time is substantial. Uh, you know his his ability to tweet to tweet facts like this that are not facts, I mean wrong facts, um, yeah falsehoods. Um, you know is is immense. Um, you know so keeping up with that is you know is is uh, is a challenge. Um, but in terms of like what the mission is, it's unchanged just because of who's doing it. This it just the this current president is able to do it in a in a way that we haven't. Haven't seen, and for reasons that we have not experienced.
1: I think I think it was Marty Baron who said, "We're not at war; we're at work. This is our job. That's right.
2: Holding power accountable. Yeah, we're not at war with.
1: Let's go. Sure. Yeah.
3: Hi, uh, my name is Daphne Shastum, and um, getting back to campaigns a little. um, If I remember correctly, Trump is
2: registered already for the 2020 campaign, and he held a rally in Florida. This early in about a month into his presidency, 80. does that mean that for the media and for the people that the 2020 campaign is on?
0: That the system is open? Are we starting this? Are you guys starting
3: this? How do you see it? I,
2: don't, I haven't seen other candidates enter the field, uh, so I don't, I don't, I don't see a race. We're covering the president. If he wants to. Um, go to Florida and hold an event that is for him a campaign rally. We'll we'll cover it, but not as part of a twenty twenty campaign. Yeah.
3: Hi, I'm Ajay Chandra from Hi. India. You were speaking about the unadulterated, unmoderated responses of the president. Indeed. while they make for good press, but is it good for the administration? Because the administration has to speak in one voice. And uh, it's not the individual's views which are important, but then the concerted views of the entire uh, establishment, uh, entire government, which should be brought to the fore, rather. And the same is extending to the even in diplomatic uh, interventions, like when the Israeli Prime Minister came, he again spoke as if he was not being briefed and just off the cuff remarks. What are your views on that?
2: Um, okay, so I would say on the administration needs to speak in one voice. Administrations have spoken in one voice in the past. There's only one president, um, so I think we were talking before a little bit about what happens when the stated views of many members of your cabinet are different from the views of the president you serve. Um, I think that's just something that we need to test. Um, so. As I said, that has always been the case, and and now it's not. It's different, um, and I don't know what that's going to portend. Um, I don't, you know, I we just n- always need to be noting it and measuring it, and t- again, like eh, testing it. So I would say that. And then, you know, on the on the visits with foreign leaders or in foreign policy in general, and what his positions are, um, they changed a lot during the campaign. Um, and positions of presidents generally change and evolve. Um, it would be a mistake to forget that the pre- that President Obama put down a red line and uh, and didn't follow through with it. it in his, Syria. On Syria, yeah. Positions change. Um, facts on the ground change. Um, this president is new and has had. And as you all know, we have never had a president who's never served in government or the military. Um, and that is going to have a significant impact on the way he handles these things. Um, I I, I frankly have to say I was pretty surprised by the number of foreign leaders that they've had to the White House so early on without having their team in place. I was surprised that the Secretary of State did not come to the meeting with the Canadian Prime Minister, was out of town for the meeting with the Israeli Prime Minister, that um, they went through with the meeting with the Israeli Prime Minister, even though they didn't have a national sec- they, they had fired their national security advisor five days earlier. Like, those, are, those are all different. but um, or we were just talking about, right, having the press conference with Netanyahu before the, the bilateral. Um, you know, but maybe that was a strategy. I mean, as was, we were saying, you know, maybe this, maybe the strategy was like not to prepare Netanyahu for what he was going to say, um, and just kind of let it hang out there and, and put it out on the record. I don't know. And I also don't know what the impact of that is going to be.
1: Is it's there, there, is, there Daphne, is there any argument that all administrations, their first 90 days are just chaotic?
2: Um. You know, just kind of thinking about, we've actually been doing this very interesting thing. Um, Chuck Todd, who's the moderator of Meet the Press, does a daily blog um, called First Read. It's a, a reported blog and analysis on politics. And once a week, we put in there what other presidents were doing this day, like on their 32nd day in office. It has a whole list, which is fascinating, um, of like the, the last, the previous six presidents, what they were doing on this day. Um, they were all a little bit under fire and and facing some challenges. Um, uh, Obama certainly was, but there was no sense of chaos. They had had pretty seamless transitions, um, even when the transition was like you know from an from an adversary, um, as the as the Clinton Bush transition had been. Um, but they were they they were staffed up with kind of the with the kind of official Washington experts um, who who were who were seeped in policy and positions um, that, that that is just not the case I mean we, we've heard from the the White House press secretary in briefings I mean it's like you know errors in 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 what the issues are um, and that that the, those are indications of of. You know, I don't know if he goes and speaks to um, directors on the NSC before he comes out to the briefing. I have no idea. Um, you know, we pushed pretty hard um, on issues with the Yemen raid for days and days and days um, after that became public. And, you know, there were there were moments where he talked about how we're fighting ISIS in Yemen. He said it three times. Like, we're not fighting ISIS. Like, that wasn't the target. The target was Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, and I can see people saying it doesn't matter, but I know that, you know, their new national security advisor, McMaster, he knows he knows it matters and he knows the difference. So I think them getting a little bit more organized and staffed up, you know, we'll see if that has an impact.
0: i I'm Helen Bowden, and Steen Fellow, BBC. Um, really interesting to okay. hear from you. Just going back to the issue of, is he back on the campaign trail? Yeah. Is it possible that you're all sort of misjudging this and that his, his, uh, his appointees certainly want to govern, but actually what he loves and what he's brilliant at, it, what he used television for expertly, mm-hmm. as well as social media, but primarily television, was the thing he does, which he sells himself. He's a campaigner. Mm-hmm. There's a very good paper on the Schorenstein site mm-hmm. called They Don't Give a Damn About Governing or Ruling, mm-hmm. I can't remember, mm-hmm. and it is entirely about the mm-hmm. impetus from Trump-like Republicans to win and Mm -hmm. campaign without any idea about what they were going to do once they had won. Is it possible that mainstream media is sort of misjudging this, and that actually, what you've got a president, and it's not about what you cover, because I think you're totally right. No, I wonder where the
2: misjudgment is. Is the misjudgment he's out campaigning because he doesn't want to govern? Yes. Uh
0: That's exactly right. Because there are some psychological types who like the thrill of the chase much better than actually landing
2: the end. Right. Right. And it's just <laughs> possible he's one of
0: them.
1: That's said Jackie Combs. Uh, Jackie.
2: Um, she's so great. Um, so... I, I, I would say in the, in the kind of stick to the reporting and what we know part um, on, the, on, on, the, on the sense or the, of governance... Um, I think what we can go by is what they are doing or came in prepared to do. So one of them is what we talked about a little bit earlier on things to watch for on legislation is like anything to replace the Affordable Care Act. Um, So there isn't anything. Um, There is no plan. Um, Right. Um, I'm not saying there isn't a desire... To have it gone, I'm just saying that it, as far as presenting what's going to come next, um, you know, the Republican Party, I would say, that has been wanting, from a legislative perspective, to to see it re- repealed or replaced or refined or um, you know something else. Um, there wasn't something that was written and ready to go. Um, and same from within inside the campaign. Um, there wasn't a team of people inside the campaign working on this. Um, President Trump didn't have a secret plan to defeat ISIS. He came in and asked his generals to put together a plan. Um, so I don't think those are secrets. Like I don't think we're being misled, and he's uh, or his team are doing all these all the, what you would see as a, as as actual governance and and we're and we're, being led down some other path i think um does he like being out in the crowds does he miss that is that where that he feels like he's at his best does his team feel like he he's great at it and they want and they want him out there and doing it sure i mean obama did a victory lap too um he did a lot, he did the same like kind of thank you go out and go out into the crowds that that you know, that all happened i mean i think doing it under the guise of i'm campaigning for 2020 you know is Quite unusual.
0: yeah
2: <laughs> uh it's as is a, a lot of what's happening um so yeah i mean i think i, I don't think we're misjudging or misleading i think you get I judged mean you're I mean, no right, right right misjudged
0: yeah yeah
2: i think we've been pretty strong in our reporting about again like there is no you know we and we there's ask no, it in the no briefings yeah and also um I would say, um, I mean, somebody's doing homework. I just don't know where where that's ending up. I mean, I would say, um, you know, the president's also thrown out there a whole bunch more things he's going to do. I mean, it's pretty clear that, like, Mexico's not going to pay for the wall. I think that's pretty clear. Um, I think it's pretty clear that they're not sure how to pay for it. Um, And they've been pretty specific about it, um, frankly. Um, it's pretty clear. I mean, they floated different ideas. They're just, they're not there um, on, on how that how that's going to happen. Um, you know, and <coughs> the president said the other day when he, uh, you know, when we went down this, um, this road, which they have sort of stopped talking about, including the president on, um, although, you know, he may again, but uh, we had days of the president and his team talking about um, widespread voter fraud. Um, the president said... Um, that he was going to appoint a commission led by his vice president um, to look into voter fraud. I don't know who would pay for that. Uh, Congress would authorize paying for that, um, but that that hasn't occurred either, right? So I don't think we're missing it. Um, I think we're reporting on it, and those are the questions that we ask in the briefing all the time um, about, those, about those specific issues. Yeah.
0: It's a long list. So we have to
1: kind of wrap this up, but I did have a couple of brief closing yeah. questions. One is just, how do you think about your audience, the audience of NBC News, the public, a portion, perhaps a significant portion, who voted for this president?
2: Um, how do I think about them as voters, or well,
1: just how do you how do you uh, how do you think about their information diets? Maybe that's really what I'm asking. How do you think about the role mm-hmm. NBC News plays in their view of the world?
2: Um, I think uh, people who are coming to us at six thirty are people who are. They're choos- I mean, th- this is a choice. I mean, these are these are people who want um, to um, who want to watch. Um, they're not. It's not passing them by. It's not like an alert that's coming on their phone that they forgot. It's not casual. It's purposeful. Um, uh, they're very they they desire to be well informed. Um, they're making choices um, to come to us, um, and for for uh, all the right reasons. And I think I think of them I think of them as as voters and people, um, you know, also people who who aren't voters, potential voters, um, citizens, people who are potential citizens, people who want to be citizens. Um, and uh, and people who have a lot at stake. Um, that that's that's how I see them. And I see our audience as people who watch the Today. I mean, it's a very big eclectic audience. It's it's people who watch the Today Show. It's people who watch nightly news. People who watch Meet the Press on Sundays. Like those are those are choices people are making. They they can they don't have to do that. Um, and also, I think you you. I, just experience in your daily lives. Uh, our competition is is mostly for people's time. People are busy, um, and uh, you know that that's what I think our, our competition is. So I, I see them as people who a very big, different, diverse, eclectic audience who voted for um, who voted for Trump and voted for Hillary and a lot who didn't vote. Um, and still want to know what it's what that result of the election they didn't participate in is going to mean to them, um, you know. And we have a huge cable audience um, on MSNBC. Um, people who want to watch um, Joe Scarborough and who want to watch Rachel Maddow and who want it, and who want um, the power of of NBC News and those correspondents all day telling them what's going on. Um, so that, that's that's how I
0: see them.
1: Here's my last question. You have a a busy, high-octane job and made more complicated by the unpredictability and chaos of the current administration. And so what sustains you? How do you maintain perspective and stay grounded?
2: Uh, There's some great humor out there right now. (laughs) So great, so funny. Those people on Twitter, they're hilarious. so I would say definitely humor. Definitely, I would say also the mission. I, I feel like, I, I mean, I've said this to my colleagues. I don't know why half of them went into journalism, but if not for this, then for what? I mean, this is such a great moment in the country. This is, you know, an administration like we have never seen, a president that we have never seen. Um, not everything is... Um, is is radical and outrageous so something lots of things are, are are similar and people have hard times starting up a new administration and there's lots of stumbles and falls but this is the most you know unusual moment and i, I just I think it's. I think it's exciting. I have. I have friends who are like who are already tuning out. They feel assaulted. They can't take it. As soon as I just say it's okay, I'll do it for you. I'll let you know what you need to know. Um, but I. But I do think there's some. There's some good humor out there. Man, there's some good New Yorker cartoons. I'm. I'm happy when people send them my way.
1: Yeah. Thank you very much for taking time out of today day to visit us here in Cambridge.
0: Thank you for listening to the Shorenstein Center Media and Politics Podcast. Music provided by ExtremeMusic.com.